Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today. I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And we're excited to have actually our original episode one guest back as we start to, you know, deepen the conversation with the people that we have on the on the uh, podcast. And our guest today is Ed Marks. He's chief digital officer at Tech Mahindra Health and Life Sciences. He's also the former CIO at Cleveland Clinic and a number of other organizations. Welcome, Ed. Well, thanks, John, for having me. It's always uh, so exciting for me. It's better than the curvy couch, I think, on uh, one of those uh, (laughs) channels. So uh, it's always good to be back. (laughs) We might need to do a new branding. We give you a couch as part of (laughs) it. No, it's great to have you here. Uh, for those that don't know you, which is should be no one in health IT, but tell us a little bit about yourself. And also you have an upcoming event called Digital Voices. Tell us about that. Yeah. So yeah, my name's Ed and I've been in the industry for a while. It's kind of fun, you know, looking at yourself now for two years uh, through a camera and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to look like my dad. So I, I guess I've, I've been around a little while and worked, served in amazing organizations and with amazing people and and we all did work together to do a lot of cool things. So at the, the bottom line for me has always been saving lives, you know, leveraging IT at the intersection of sort of technology, business, clinical, and saving people's lives. And so I've been very privileged to work with many fine people and organizations. But what we're doing now with this conference called Digital Voices is we realized a couple of years ago. So I yeah, I left Cleveland Clinic and I became a chief digital officer. And we realized that there was no professional organization for chief digital officers. And certainly there's some good organizations out there that try to expand and be all things to all people and start including CDOs. But we wanted an organization that's just focused on CDOs and not just that, but really focused across all of health and life sciences. Because one reason that we're a little bit behind some of the other industries is we're so fragmented even within healthcare. So we've got payers who never talk to providers, although we're seeing a lot of pay providers now. So that's slowly changing. And we never talk with life sciences counterparts. Yeah. We don't talk with big tech or retail. Everyone's like in their own sort of like subcategory. So the thought was, hey, let's form a loose affiliation of chief digital officers across all those segments, health and life sciences. And so there was 13 of us, John, that came together and it included people from the payers, just like I talked about, providers, tech, retail, couple from each segment and we came together and we're like, all right, we, we need to add value. So we formed this loose organization called Digital Voices. And part of our value add was twice a year, we would do a conference. They've all been virtual because we started during the pandemic. Sure. And so the next one coming up is Thursday, January 13th. There's still time to register. You go to digitalvoices.com. Digital is like DGTL, but certainly you can, if someone is interested, you can uh, put it in Google and do digital voices. I'm sure it'll pop up, but there's still a chance to register. And here's the fun thing about the conference is it's short, right? So it's not nothing wrong with long conferences, but very few people have the ability to stick around for two, three, four hours. So it's one, it's powerful. So it has amazing speakers, which I'll, I'll take a pause after I kind of introduce the concept and see if you have questions, we can go into the speakers and such. It's content rich, so it's TED style. Each speaker just has 15 minutes to really pack in all the juice. It's interactive, so 
while some of the sessions were pre-recorded, that means that the speaker will be online. And so we've had terrific interaction with the audience while the speaker speaks. It's commercial free. So we do this out of the goodness uh, of, of our time and wanting to push the industry forward. So there's no ads, no one's making money. There's no salespeople and nothing wrong with all that. That's how things work, but it's commercial free zone and it's socially minded. So for the first time ever, we are actually charging a fee, but a hundred percent of the fee goes in this case, the keynote speaker is Chris Ross from Mayo Clinic. And in this case, and he has talks about his cancer and patient experience. In this case, hundred percent at the end, we'll have one of those fake checks, but it'll be real money, but you know, uh, 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 yeah. a replica check and we'll be handing it over to the Mayo Clinic Foundation to kill cancer. So really excited about it. Yeah, it's coming up uh, in five days. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. You you have a session that stood out to me that you're doing with Chris Ross. I, I think you all have a book coming out about this maybe as well, if I remember right, but it's called Consumer Experience Upside Down. Like what, what's the message there? Yeah, so we still don't have an official book title. So okay. we're still working with the publisher. And as we're writing it, we're we're thinking that it'll become more and more clear. Sure. But the, the publisher, they did, they pulled a little fast one on us. And actually it was brilliant in hindsight. I wish I could say Chris or I thought about it. But that, anyways, I'm trying to answer your question around the title, but this is sort of how it goes. Is originally we were writing this book to help our colleagues like wait, we all talk about patient experience and we all know it intellectually and we've all been a quote unquote a patient or have family. But when you're hit with something like cancer or a heart attack or something like really like near death, it changes the perspectives completely. So while we would have used to have said, yeah, we know what it's like to be a patient. We really didn't until we were staring death in the eye. And then to be the, you know, come back as executives and, and partially leading patient experience in our organizations, it, it really change things. So we thought we were writing from that perspective, but when the publisher got involved and it's Mayo Clinic Press and Simon & Schuster is the distributor, is they were like, whoa, this, this is too rich. This is too critical to save just for healthcare people, which is good. This is something every consumer needs to know. Mm. And so, yeah, then we thought about, hey, how do we make sure that every consumer that becomes a patient can have a great experience no matter where they get their healthcare. Because not everyone's going to have a chance to go to Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic. And even if you go there, as great as those organizations are, doesn't mean you're going to have a good patient experience. Now, they're pretty good at that. Uh, but you should have the same patient experience whether you go to a critical care access hospital on 10 beds in, you know, in South Dakota, in rural South Dakota, versus uh, you know, a big inner, you know, Dallas. You should have the same opportunity for a great experience. So the book is written for the consumer to arm them with all sorts of ideas about how to have a great experience. And at the same time, we, we, we move the, the curtain, we remove the veil about how healthcare actually runs. Like, do they know why a certain physician makes a certain referral to a certain uh, location or phys other physician? Why do they do that? What are the incentives? How are they reimbursed? How does uh, experience come into reimbursement? So all these things that the average person doesn't know about. So we, we reveal that to them so they have a better insight and helps them make better decisions. Like, so John, I can go on forever. So let's give one example. <laughs> Great. 
but because I get really excited about this because it's uh, hopefully it'll be revolutionary for, for the consumers. Those of us listening, we all get it. We're probably like some people probably listening right now saying, yeah, Ed, we all get that. Yeah, we do. But I'm telling you, 90% of the world does not get it. And I've already lost my train of thoughts, except to say this, like I took my dad through an experience recently and I'm telling you, and I, I think everyone could relate to this. You, you realize when you help someone else through this experience that if you weren't there, oh my gosh, what would that have experience been like? It would have been a horrid experience for my dad if he did not have my brothers and sisters and I helping him all along the way. Uh, most of us work in healthcare, serve in healthcare. So we kind of know the insights. We kind of knew what to do, how to avoid all the pitfalls and gaps. And he had a good experience. But had we not been there, had he been that average consumer, it would have been a bad experience. So we're going to reveal all this, give all these ideas to the masses. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit in the keynote is, is some insights into that book, into the things that we're, we're discovering as we write the book and some of the content of the book. But, but it's going to be revolutionary. Again, not so much for those of us who serve in healthcare, but for those on the outside, which is the majority, and hopefully enable them to have better patient experiences in the future. Well, you say we know it, but you know, if you watch any sort of health IT Twitter, you realize that all these people that have gone through it are like, I should know better, and yet I don't. So yes. <laughs> you know, I think to your point, even us industry insiders that think we know what we're talking about, when we're hit with something big like a cancer diagnosis or whatever it might be, we realize, oh, we only know this much of this much that needed to be known. So exactly. that's that's great insight. Well, everyone should check it out at uh, digitalvoices.com, dgtlvoices.com. So th that's great. And looking forward to see the content. I'm sure there'll be an active uh, Twitter stream as well that we can follow along. But shifting gears a little bit here, like I feel like right now is kind of a, a, a fascinating moment. Uh, you know, a friend I, I imagine of yours too, C.T. Lynn, just tweeted out to me because we were asking about some different things that were happening. I was like, I wonder if C.T. Lynn knows the answer to this. And he just replied, he said, sorry, right now working on Omicron surge in Colorado. Crisis care, you know, standards of care are activated. We're turning away walk-up patients from our ED unless deemed emergent by medical screening. It's never before been done in their history. You know, he talks about double occupancy in the ICU, patients in the hallway. Like this is the reality for so many organizations. So let's just take a minute. Like, what are you seeing with the CIOs that are dealing with COVID now? Yeah, I'm. I'm hearing the same thing all around uh, the country, you know, and I think listeners know that my wife is really close to getting her doctorate as a nurse practitioner. So uh -huh. she serves in healthcare today. So I get the inside scoop from her uh, as well. And yeah, things are really exploding again. And I, and I see it with some of the different CIOs that I serve with, you know, even today, helping them out in, in various strategic initiatives. And the good thing is that after that first wave, there was this period where we were able to step back and take some stock as things kind of quieted down and make some better decisions. So with the first wave, we all made a bunch of decisions like whatever we need for telehealth. And so we came up with six different solutions, you know, whether it was FaceTime and, and then some of the more legitimate ones that we might, you know, medical grade versions of FaceTime like Zoom or through the EHR or, you know, I won't name vendors, but I think you, people know what I'm talking about. And then, but then we had a chance to really take stock and say, okay, let, let's just focus on a couple and do it really well. 
So let's include waiting rooms and let's include other things. So with this next wave now, a little bit better prepared in, in order on how to handle it, including you know more remote patient monitoring capabilities, more robust capabilities. And so a better preparedness, but what I'm afraid of and what I'm hearing is just the tiredness. And I mean, you, you see this all the time, Twitter or, or just in the media in general, is everyone's tired and they didn't really have a chance to recuperate. So even though we had this lull between waves, it wasn't like people took, you know, six or eight weeks sabbaticals like you might in some other foreign <laughs> countries, you know, um, they're back at it pretty hard and especially the clinical teams. And so that's the hard part. So hopefully this next, this wave that we're in is uh, shorter, which it, you know, if we look at some other, I'm certainly no expert, but when we look at some of the modeling from other countries that have been ahead of us on this wave, it dissipated Seems quicker like. than the first one. So hopefully that's the case. And I just really encourage everyone and, you know, the CIOs that I, that I chill with is that at, at this next wave, let's, let's really r- rapidly you know, take that break, but then rapidly prepare for the future. Cause I don't, no one knows what the future is. I, again, I'm not a, I, I'm not a predictor of the future, but I would just be really, really well prepared. So we had the first break. We, we retreated a little bit, got some rest, set some th- better things in motion, and then we need to do the same thing and just stay ahead of it the best that we can. See, I, I love the advice, but I, I kind of look at it and I'm like, those who prepared after the first wave hit, right? They're, they're much better prepared to handle this second wave. Yes. And, and you're suggesting, okay, there's you know, at least from what you said, I'm in, in, I'm assuming that there might be a third and fourth so that we need to make sure we're prepared from, or however many waves end up coming. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, how do you change the mindset of someone who didn't prepare after the first wave to now finally do it after the second? It, uh, that's hard, right? Yeah. But I mean, I think that's why we're going to see more changes in leadership and perhaps a shifting of where some of these responsibilities go. We were seeing it already starting to happen, you know, not to open up a big controversial controversial topic, you know, with the emergence of the chief digital officer pre-pandemic and chief transformation officers pre-pandemic. And then I think during the pandemic, a lot of CEOs realized and boards realized, oh my gosh, maybe we, we, we aren't set with the way we're currently structured in leadership. So we better bring in more CDOs and we better, you know, start recruiting people from outside of healthcare. And I, and I think we've seen that if you look at press releases and things like that, you, you see that uh, uptake. And so, so to those individuals that think, mm, maybe I can, I kind of made it through the first wave. Okay. We'll, we'll make it through the second wave and are kind of not Oh, kind of one of those people that aren't going to take action to prepare for the future, I think their days might be numbered. Uh, I think that boards and, and CEOs are expecting that we all learn, right? No one, we can't fault anyone for not being prepared the first sure. time around, of course. but we can for the second and third, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think the other thing that you kind of uh, hinted at is, and, and the crisis that I see is this whole employment crisis uh, and, and there's, you know, I, I think there's two ways to look at this from a CIO perspective. One is, you know, the loss of all the clinical staff that are just burnt out, tired of seeing COVID, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, and, but then also kind of, as you mentioned, you know, the, this IT staff 
kind of being burnt out or maybe wanting some more flexibility or whatever it might be. What does that mean for a CIO? And, and are there any some practical strategies that you could offer them to kind of deal with this or maybe even avoid the uh, great resignation as some people are calling it? Yeah, it, it's definitely hit healthcare technology. And, you know, again, not just because of the burnout, but the opportunities that have now been made available mm. by having this freedom that I can serve from any place in the world. I've even thought about it with my wife a little bit. We're like, you know, my, my role does lend itself to work anywhere in the world. And we've always had this fantasy about, you know, in some chalet in Switzerland, you know, <laughs> uh, Interlock in Switzerland. Uh, and, yeah. and we actually started thinking a little bit more serious about it recently because you can serve from anywhere. And so people are getting that sense like, wow, I don't have to live in the big city or I don't have to live remote or whatever they'd like, they can now uh, make adjustments. And so we're starting to see that and, and predictions about planned cities in the future that the planning is not gonna set, be centralized around great schools, although that's still going to be important, but it's gonna be infrastructure in terms of bandwidth. Let's build this community for remote workers. Uh, so I, I've read a lot about that. But yeah, from a practical standpoint, I think it's some of the same things that have always been there, but we didn't pay a lot of attention to. We always thought of them as soft and cute, but not really necessary. And those are just things like making it a fun place to work. Mm. So when you see these surveys, money, the salary part is usually like number five. If there's a top 10 list, it's usually number five. Of course, people want to make as much money as they can, but it's not the most important thing. They want to enjoy their job. So make it enjoyable. And so, you know, there's so many practical things that you can do around that. Make it missional, you know, especially with the younger generations. They're, they're much more, in, they're less interested in how quickly do I become CIO than they are is how does my effort add value to people? And so by always stressing the mission, like to save lives and, and then letting them see that, you know, you've heard me talk about that before, John, like we know all the stuff intellectually, like I'm a patient, you know, I know what it's like to be a patient, but we don't know it in our heart. And so sometimes you can have a mission statement and you can tell people are, you know, we, we're here to serve the community and, 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 and help everyone's well-being. Okay, that's nice. But how do they really know? Give them opportunity to experience it, to be part of it. They want to be involved and engaged. So I would create opportunities for them to get involved and engaged. Again, be very missional, uh, be a fun place to work, be really flexible. You know, we even did this like, I don't know, it's been like 15 years when I was at Texas Health, but we created a Google-like environment. We sent everyone to work from home, not everyone, but the majority of people work from home. And and then when they were there, we had hoteling space and times for meeting and reflection, things like that. We made it sort of uh, a fun place to work and, and a lot of collaborative space. And, and then we did a lot of things after hours. They didn't have to do things after hours, but if you make it fun and people are mission-minded, then they wanna hang out together. And, and so if you create that sort of environment where it's missional, it's, it's fun, it's uh, rewarding, then they're more apt to stick with you because why would I want to work for some other company? Yeah, okay, I'll get paid a little bit more, but what if it's not fun? And what if they burn me out? So that flexibility where I was headed there is give them, forget this, you know, two weeks of paid vacation a year, Don't, you know, <laughs> and these strict policies, blow those out of the water. Who cares, right? If you get your work done, do it about 
you know, uh, your contribution should be uh, commensurate with your time flexibility. So if your contribution is 3x, then give that person 3x flexibility. Why does the person whose contribution is 3x get the same 1x flexibility as that 1x person? You know, see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. I think our models have to be flipped and we can't be rigid anymore. And when people see that, hey, wow, if my contribution is, you know, 3x, look at what I get. I get a lot more flexibility. They control that. So they have a sense of control. So there's like four things, John, just off the top of my head that people can be doing the soft and fuzzy things that we used to talk about. And maybe one more, it's just be nice. Have you ever worked for it? Yeah, I'm sure you haven't, but uh, <laughs> other people that may be listening probably have worked for people that are not nice. And what's so hard about being nice, be kind, be empathetic to people that they have, you know, some children that are sick and they need to miss some meetings. That's awesome. You know, allow for that and be nice about it. They, they can't help it. Their, their focus has to be on their family. And it seems like natural. I know for you and I, that's like, oh, yeah, of course. And for the majority of listeners, yeah, yeah, of course. But I'm telling you because I've, I know some of these unnice people or I hear stories about unnice <laughs> people and who wants to work for someone that's not nice. So, yeah. and then, and then one more. So just cause I want to be practical for the audience and these just come off the top of my head, but these, these are also obvious, but sometimes you just have to hear someone else say it is, is provide actual uh, opportunity for growth and success and create programs. So we created, you know, you can send them to programs, which is fine and good, but we also can create our own programs. And so we, we've done that and we, I won't go into examples, but people can be creative and, and come up with their own internal programs. I mean, some of the programs that I'm thinking about, as I tell you this, John, they were so popular that we had a hundred applicants for eight slots. And then wow. I would hear from, they'd, they'd all go out and get, you know, the CEO to endorse them. So I get emails. from CEO. <laughs> I know that Sherry has applied for this. I'd really like to see her, but we created these avenues. And then as a result, you know, and I don't want to throw out some numbers because I don't want people to, to focus on the numbers, but we, we've seen a lot of CIOs emerge by doing this. So if someone knows, hey, if I stick this out, if I, you know, yeah, I'm tempted because I can make twice the salary with some other company, but I've got a nice boss. And whenever I need time off, I get it. And it's, it's a fun place to work. And I see my future. I'm going to be a CIO. This, this company has nurtured 10 CIOs or 20 CIOs. I see a future here. So I'm going to stick it out and, and make a change and make a difference. So there, there's a bunch of, of practical ideas that anyone can do. And John, you know, I don't think any of them I mentioned cost money. Mm, that's fascinating. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's about effort. It's about, acknowledging having some empathy for your workers. That's interesting. Uh, I did work for an unnice boss. I, I work for myself right now, but um, you know, that <laughs> now, but uh, it's interesting what you say, right? I mean, they've done studies on this, that at a certain pay level, the, 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 how much more you pay them doesn't impact a decision. Yeah. And then pretty much everyone in healthcare IT is above that pay level. So, you know, like it's different when you're at 20, $30,000, yeah. an increase of pay appreciably changes your life. But if you're making 70, 80, hundred plus thousand, which is a lot of health IT, it doesn't. So those are some great practical uh, examples. So thanks for sharing. Um, 
just as we wrap up here, uh, I always like to pull in some from your life and maybe even some career leadership advice. And so, uh, you know, I know you're an avid hiker. You've hiked, uh, you know, Kilimanjaro, some other, you know, I know you have some goals in that regard as well. And you're also an athlete that competes in a duathlon, if I remember right. And, uh, you know, is there a lesson there from one of these experiences that you could maybe apply to CIOs? Yeah, you know, since we're kind of t- on the touchy-feely side, I-, I think about the the track record my teams had uh, climbing mountains. So we were climbing, you know, some of the seven summits, highest peaks in the world, and some, you know, 14,000, 14ers, but uh-huh. a lot of 20, a lot of four or 5,000 meter peaks. And the the average success rate, and you can, anyone can Google this and look it up, but the average success rate climbing these peaks, if I took an average, is about 30%. Because there's some things you can't help. Weather happens, sure. sickness happens, there's stuff that happens. We we had a 99%. And the actual oh. 1% was actually me sometime, a, a story for another day. <laughs> Otherwise, it was 100%. Uh, but one time, I didn't make it to the top. My team did. Uh, but here, so someone asked me, you know, what, how did we achieve that? You know, again, some things we couldn't control. You know, we always had decent enough weather. And I thought a lot about it and I, and I, and it came down to this. So there comes a time during a climb where you give up uh, and any hard climb, you are, you're freezing, your lack of oxygen, uh, you're hungry or not hungry, no energy, uh, weather's tough. There, everyone uh, looks up. Sometimes you look up and you're at base camp and you look up at that last 5,000 meters of that rugged peak. And you're like, I don't think I've got what it takes. Yeah. And I think that's why uh, many people fail is you have all these negative things coming at you and you have a lot of self-doubt and you're like, I can't do this. And it's quiet. You get quiet. Even though you're in a team, you get quiet. You don't say anything. It's weird. I, I've watched it happen so many times. It happened to me a couple of times. I, I still made it in those cases, but man, I was so close. And so I was really thinking about, okay, well, why did we make this? And I'm thinking about all those things I just shared. And I think it's this. So at base camp, which normally the effort to get the base camp is about 10% of the effort needed for the entire climb. Because that last, that last, it could be a mile, it could be 20 miles, but usually at base camp is like anyone could kind of make it to base camp. It's yeah. that next part that's the tough part. And at base camp, I bring everyone together. And man, I even get emotional thinking about this, John. Um, I bring everyone together. And I go down one by one. So usually my teams, usually your team, it'll depend on the toughness of the mountain, but my team's probably average eight to 10 people. And I go down one at a time. And I tell them in front of everyone else, I'm like, Amy, you're here because you're the jokester of this team. And when we're all like about to quit and die, you're cracking jokes and making us laugh. I don't think we'd make it without you. Uh And then I go to Frank. Frank, you're the senior most climber. You climbed all these other mountains. This is nothing. We, we need to follow your footsteps. And I just go down one by one and tell them all one specific thing about them that makes the team and that without them, we will not be successful. And it's a very emotional time. And for some of these people, it was the first time that anyone spoke life into them as an adult. Wow. You know, it's like, it's like deep Mm -hmm. encouragement. It's like deep look in the eye, kind of awkward at first, 
but sincere from the heart. And everyone after that, they are ready to die for one another. We you know, no one's died, but if it meant saving someone, they would have died for that person. And, uh, and it's been amazing. I think that's what happens because every, so back to the work world, man, we look at, oh my gosh, another wave. What? Oh, I've got to pull another, uh, and I've done this before, a 36 hour shift. What? I? Oh my God, how are we going to do, you know, you have all those thoughts. Every leader does, every person does. And it's like, you've got to know that people have those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, got to go in people's face in a nice way and look them in the eye and tell them how important they are. Tell them that what they do matters. Tell them that what they do is going to save someone's life. Tell them that what they do is hard now and sacrificial now, but at the end, there's, there's light. At the end, there's rest. At the end, there is the mission. And you'll see that team come together and do miraculous things. And so, yeah, if there's one thing that I think about, you know, when, when a climbing that has made us 99% successful, it was all about that, speaking words of life, words of encouragement, coming from the leader, caring enough about each person. You talk to every person and you know that person. Because for me to say those things, John, to those people, I had to know them. And so yeah. if you do that, I mean, it'll be amazing. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop with that. But that's that's probably the main thing. I was going to say, I think that's the key, right? Is caring enough about them to to see them, right? I mean, that that's what you just described to me is that you see them, you see their contribution. Because far too often in, in health IT, we work and we don't get recognized or seen for what we do, right? Because we're kind of in, the, in fact, if we're seen, it's usually bad. <laughs> there was a breach, there's downtime, there was whatever, right? And so someone seeing them, that's a powerful lesson. Yeah, you know, I, you know this, is you always promote others. You take the blame as a leader. This is simple stuff, but it, but it doesn't happen very often or often <laughs> enough. When something goes wrong, you, you're the leader, you take the blame. When it goes right, you're never there. Like if you look up Davies Award pictures from when I was at the Cleveland Clinic or Texas Health, you will not see me in those pictures. Now I led those organizations during those times, but it's like, I didn't do, I didn't do much. It was the team that did it. So why should I take their glory, right? So- yeah. If you always put, acknowledge people, put them first, give them the, the, the uh, platform, uh, it works out best for everyone. It's best for them. It's best for the organization. It's best for the entire uh, continuum, if you will, uh, is always to, to put others first. And, and amazing things happen. You know, if it was left to me, if it was just me climbing these mountains, I would have, ne- I, would have I shouldn't say never. Out of the 25, I probably would have reached, I don't know, five. But because of the team, I reached 24 and the team got that 25th one for me. So, yeah, that's what it's all about. As a leader, you know this, um, preaching to the choir here, but, you know, serving others and raising them up. That's awesome. Well, Ed, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate your insights and perspectives. I'm sure other people will as well. And if they want to find more, they can certainly go to dgtlvoices.com for your Digital Voices event and and hear from you and the other people you've put together for for that event. And uh, thanks everyone for listening to the CIO podcast. If you want to find all the latest episodes, you can check them out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, John. 